Hello, uh, welcome to Wrigley's Education Team podcast. I'm Chris Billington and I'm joined by Tim Wrigley. Uh, we're partners in the education team and we're exploring some of the academy issues uh, that you may be uh, asking questions about. Okay, Tim, so we're exposing and exploring some of the academy myths. Um, recently, uh, there's been a lot of debate around the requirement that all schools must become academies. There certainly has, um, and obviously there's been a number of U-turns, or discussion of U-turn at least. Um, obviously, back in uh, in March, George Osborne stood up in the budget speech and said that all schools would now become academies. Of course, we're actually only talking about maintained schools, independent schools, totally separate and not part of the academy programme. Um, but the idea, the Conservative government announced that all maintained schools would become academies. There was obviously significant backlash against that. There are plenty of schools out there in local authorities who are performing very well, um, and there are lots of small schools who might find it very difficult to survive as academies on their own. Um, so the government has climbed down and has announced publicly that they won't require every maintained school to become an academy. Um, it, it's half a climb down, if I can put it that way, because um, the political line uh, from the department is they don't need that piece of legislation um, that would have said all schools must become an academy um, because their, their, their uh, policy approach and the natural progression of the academy programme will achieve the same aim. And the objective, the objective of the government is still very much that by 2012 they anticipate that all schools, 2020, by 2020, yeah, they anticipate that all schools will have become academies uh, without any particular enabling legislation to uh, force the conversion. Yes, that, as I say, that, that's the government's line, um, and Nicky Morgan's stood up and said that publicly on a few occasions now. Um, it's interesting, and people refer to the sort of Hampshire uh, question. Uh, I can't quite see how all those good schools in Hampshire um, are suddenly going to decide somewhere between uh, 2016 and 2020 that they're going to now want to become academies, but, but that's what the government are telling us. Hmm. And a rather strange approach for such a significant government policy to be declared by the Chancellor of the Exchequer in his budget and not by the Minister for Education. True, and that one hasn't um, gone unnoticed in, in the press either. Um, I think given the recent uh, significant changes in, uh, in politics of all colours, um, I think we'll probably have to wait for another good six months at least to see who's in charge and quite um, what brand of academy project and programme we're going to have going forwards. Um, we have seen a consistent approach in the Conservative government since um, they got into power in 2015, so um, we are all expecting that it's still going to be uh, a blanket Conservative policy of all schools should become academies. But just exploring or, or looking at the rationale behind the policy, which is a major um, piece of, uh, it's a major part of the government's uh, uh, agenda. Um, looking at it, at it from a financial driver rather than improving education. 
Yes, uh, and the, the programme has um, evolved and developed significantly over the uh, six years of the programme to date. Um, back in 2010, August 2010, when the first uh, academies under the 2010 Act went through, um, finance was one of the key drivers. It, at that point, it was almost entirely very large, uh, very successful secondary schools converting to academy status on their own. And for them, there was a financial win. Um, they were essentially propping up uh, other schools in the local authorities from their own budgets and not feeling that they were getting full um, full benefit for their proportion of the lax egg costs. Um, so they got that money that the local authority had been spending on their behalf um, to spend themselves. Um, and many of them chose to go to academy status purely for that reason. Obviously, um, back in 2010, the government were keen on um, explaining the, the reasons for academy status being about getting freedom um, and financial control over that element of the school budget. It, it was one of those sort of key six freedoms that they were talking about. Um, the other main one, of course, being freedom from the local authority control. I'll come back to um, freedoms and the relationship with the local authority in a moment, but there are those who say that academisation is simply a means by which to privatise education. There certainly are. Um, I don't think privatise is the right word. Um, and I'll repeat that the, the key message, I think, is it's taking schools out of local authority control. That isn't exactly the same thing as privatisation because the academy project puts them into educational charities and charities are by their very nature organisations that, that exist for the public benefit. Um, they're controlled by trustees, charity trustees, um, who act in a voluntary capacity um, and as I say they must only carry out charitable public uh, benefit activities. So it's not privatisation in the sense of uh, commercial organisations taking over running of school and making profit for themselves and shareholders. It's, it's not privatisation in that sense. Um, but certainly in the early stages of the, uh, the, the academisation under, under the 2010 Act, um, there was promotion of commercial sponsors um, putting money in to support uh, education provision within academies. Um, but those have all been subject to the related party rules. Uh, they've always had limitations on the amount of um, costs that can be drawn out of the Academy Trust to support services that are being provided. So I agree with what you say that um, privatisation isn't quite the right word. <laughs> a denationalisation or externalisation of a lot of these services, which is actually quite common and is being increasingly seen across a number of different sectors uh, recently with um, rehabilitation of offenders uh, and in terms of recent statements there's a drive in terms of health and welfare uh, sectors as well where uh, there is a continued delivery of public mutuals. Yes, of course, and throughout all different sectors, as you say, and society generally, there are very different views on whether it's right for 
national governments to be controlling all sorts of different areas of, of society or not, or whether it's better in the hands of people who are more local and more experienced in particular areas or not. And um, I don't think you or I will ever get everyone to agree on that, but it's good that there's a significant debate about it at least. So let's look at the uh, the role of the local authority, or well, the question is, is there a role for local authorities in, in local education anymore? There are um, a number of concerns that as schools convert uh, the funding and more and more funding is diverted away from the uh, essential and statutory services that are provided by local authorities. Uh, and many local authorities now find it difficult to provide an effective school improvement or school support service. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, and we're fully expecting, um, as we know from the white paper, educational excellence everywhere, um, that one of the main triggers for schools being made to become academies is still going to be um, that the local authority is, is not a viable local authority, and that's both in terms of its um, basic balance sheet um, for its schools or in terms of the services that it's providing. Um, and it's no secret that the geography of academy conversions is quite different throughout the country. We've already mentioned Hampshire and there are other uh, local authorities that are in a similar position where the local authority is providing very good service to its schools. The schools, by and large, are performing very well. And there isn't a particular driver in those areas for things to change, but there are other local authorities who weren't performing very well and large numbers of uh, schools have already converted to academy status. Um, and it's very difficult in those circumstances for the local authority to continue um, and effectively you know, there is a feeling that some of the local authorities are already having to prop up the educational services from other uh, from other areas of uh, the council funding. Um, it's not really fair to talk about particular local authorities but you know, we all have those particular areas in mind. Um, it's also no secret that the Department for Education's view on this, the Conservative government view on this, is what they want is to have a school system where the local authority has a sort of safeguarding and commissioning role, um, but not running schools. And, and as I say, that was always the basic premise of, of the Academy programme as it was in 2010. And there is a tipping point. As more and more schools go to Academy status, then there are less funds available to the local authority to support those services. Those services become under more challenge, um, weaken, uh, and local authorities who see the conversion rate within their uh, particular area can see this happening. Many have taken the route of trying to improve their services, uh, but the fundamental cost base doesn't necessarily support them. Well, that's right. Um, and as I've already touched on, um, the original conversions tended to be large secondary schools who got a financial win, um, so that was a, immediately a, a hit on the on the balance sheet for the local authorities. Um, and as time's gone by over the previous five years, you know, smaller institutions have gone, and obviously the volume of schools converting has increased. Um, so, so it's quite right, and quite a lot of authorities are finding themselves in in that scenario. They might have say. A quarter of the schools they started off with, half the schools, something like that, and they tend to be the smaller schools. Obviously, uh, there's a big concern out there um, that it's the very small primary schools who simply cannot afford to become academies um, and aren't very 
attractive financially for multi-academy trusts to take them on, um, those are the ones which the local authorities are most likely to be stuck with. And I think that is um, important um, to have that trigger in, in those particular areas for something to happen. And I'm not here to say that the government policy that they must become academies is necessarily ideologically correct. Um, but something certainly has to be done because you cannot end up with a system where you're, the local authority is just left with a number of very small primary schools and, and with no money to run them. And you touch on the, the sort of flip side of that question as to how local authorities are dealing with the cost pressures. Um, one of the concerns is that uh, conversion simply creates a bureaucratic and financial burden for the academy. Uh, there are many references to how, uh, in particular, the, the business team within an academy grows exponentially uh, with the salary cost to match, uh, whilst teachers remain overburdened and the children are often forgotten in this equation. Uh, what's your uh, sense of uh, how academies are dealing with the additional burden that they have to uh, take on when those services are no longer available from their traditional source, the local authority? Um, my personal take on this, uh, as a lawyer, uh, is the question is isn't isn't quite isn't quite right really. We're not talking about schools taking over from local authorities. What we're talking about is uh, multi academy trusts taking over running groups of schools, uh, and that's not exactly the same thing. Um, yes, if, if you you're going to set up a multi-academy trust that's going to run 20 or 40 or even 60 schools, uh, then it's going to need a lot of financial support. But what you're not doing is um, making every single academy trust have to have a lot of business um, functions and exponentially increase its business teams and so forth. Um, those academies that went through as single model academy trusts, yes, you take on a bit more uh, financial responsibility, um, but it, they won't find it significantly different um, from the role they had as a single local authority school. I think it's perhaps a slightly different way of thinking about it would be it's uh, removing the local authority functions in those respects um, and those centralised functions, those centralised expertise, are, are going elsewhere. As I say, in, in the idea is that they will go into into relatively large multi-academy trusts. And we know that uh, the National Schools Commissioner would like academy trusts of about 15 to 20 schools. Um, and yes, if you're running 15 or 20 schools, you will need uh, a reasonable amount of business expertise and certainly the financial expertise to make the books balance. But within that, the argument is also that um, as the Academy Trust grows, um, it becomes uh, financially uh, more viable. Uh, this picks up the point we were talking about earlier around uh, the message coming from the Chancellor of the Exchequer around the Academy programme and it being a financial issue uh, of enabling uh, multi-Academy Trusts to grow to a point at which they are able to support these schools that they take on and deliver the improvements uh, across their their particular trust. Um, but then one of the questions is in terms of the conversion, uh, why are costs so great? Um, statistics would suggest that 
some of the early academies when they converted costs were in the region of £250,000. Currently the estimate is of an average of around £35,000 for a school to convert. Where um, do those costs go? <coughs> well it's a very good question. Uh, the early figures you're talking about there, 200,000 and so on, that that was slightly different. That was the process as it once was um, under the former Labour government, um, where you were taking a former uh, local authority school, usually building a brand new set of school buildings, getting a commercial organisation into, um, with, with the idea that they would bring some money in as well as some business expertise uh, and raise aspirations for the pupils in those areas um, and so it was a much bigger project than than those that we're looking at nowadays um, which essentially is sort of a um, changing the legal structure of the existing school rather than creating something new and yes it was fair to say that the old projects were sort of a phoenix arising from the ashes, but they were certainly a lot more technical and a lot more difficult than uh, than the well-trodden path that we have now. Um, I think it's worth saying as well that the current costs vary significantly um, because all schools are different. Um, large secondary schools with complicated sites or shared sites, lots of different things all happening within the land and buildings will be more complicated than a small primary school that only has its own school buildings to think about and worry about. Um, again, if you have a PFI uh, contract on that on a particular school, that's going to significantly add to the cost. So the current figure of about £35,000 is, is an average figure. Um, but total costs c can vary from sort of Twelve to 15,000 at the low end um, and they can still go up to 75,000, 100,000 uh, from what I've heard. And I think it's fair to say that those costs aren't just legal costs, they are systems and processes that need to be put in place, in some cases new accounting software, um, some uh, schools going through conversion will still take the uh, approach of rebranding themselves, becoming that phoenix out of the ashes, uh, new school uniforms. Um, there's lots of elements that go into making up the costs of conversion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in very, very broad brush terms, legal costs will probably um, amount to something like five to ten thousand. Um, for a primary or ordinary secondary school, you could probably add on an extra ten thousand for a PFI project. Um, so legal costs are are part of the overall cost package, but but you're quite right that there's certainly not the, not the total of, of the thirty five figure. Okay, we 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 touched on this uh, vision of multi academy trusts having somewhere between fifty and. 20 schools in them somewhere. Sometimes it's, it's, it's expressed in terms of pupil numbers, around two and a half, three thousand pupils in order to become uh, viable. But again, one of the main concerns and uh, complaints about academization is that schools have to abandon their identity and their autonomy and their values uh, when they convert into a multi-academy trust. Hmm. Well, I think that, that is, a, um, is a cause for concern um, and something we haven't 
talked about yet is is quite a significant point, which is the difference between those schools which choose to convert, and, and they're generally referred to as the converters uh, by the DfE, um, and sponsored schools, i.e. those who are made to convert, um, they're not performing sufficiently well uh, to be given any choice in the matter, and the DfE make them become academies. Um, <laughs> And in, in the latter situation, where you, you're forced to become an academy because something isn't going right, um, then ideologically it makes a lot more sense, doesn't it, that, that a change is required. Um, and therefore there might be some rebranding, um, some difference in values. Um, but on the, on the other side of things, when, where schools are choosing to go through the project, um, through the conversion process, well, the initial part of the process is a brokering process. Um, if you're a good or outstanding school, you go out, um, test the market, if you like, look at the academy trusts, um, try and find one that matches your values. Um, it's important to, to look at those published statements of, of what the Academy Trust is all about, what, it mission, what is its mission statement, how big does it want to be, how does its scheme of delegation work, all, all important factors to consider. So for any school, you know, the point there is there is a choice out there. Um, some schools have embraced that choice and have made inquiries and if they don't find what they're looking for then perhaps that's the driver for them to create what it is they want. Um, where schools are at a disadvantage is where they're not paying attention to the academy landscape, um, they're not paying attention to all of the uh, statements coming out of DfE that academization must be on their agenda, uh, whether that's out of choice at this stage or whether it may become perhaps forced or compulsion in years to come. Uh, yes, that's right. Um, we still hear tales of people who think we're, we're not going to be made to convert and therefore we will not bother uh, even thinking about it, which I think is perhaps uh, a little short-sighted, um, but there will always be people of that nature. Um, there are all sorts of mats out there, as, we, as we've touched upon, all, all different sort of shapes, sizes, colours. Um, and as you say, it, provided that your school is strong enough and you've got the right sort of people, then then creating your own new academy trust is one of those things. Um, from our experience, I'd say I'd, I'd be surprised if something at least similar doesn't already exist. But whether it exists in your particular area, um, and frankly, personalities and relationships is still uh, a massive driver. Um, in all of these relationships issues and, and how the RSC and head teacher board make their decisions on which schools are allowed to join which groups. Um, all of those things play a big part. We started with the, the proposition that every school must become an academy. I think it's fair to say that every school must be thinking about what academy means for them. Uh, Tim, uh, thank you. Uh, we started with the proposition that every school must uh, become an academy. I think we leave it with every school must at least be considering what academisation means for them. Uh, thank you for listening. 
To find out more about Wrigley's, uh, please do visit us at wrigleys.co.uk or contact us directly. Uh, my telephone is 0113-204-5734 or chris.billington at wrigleys.co.uk. Contact Tim. It's tim.wrigley at wrigleys.co.uk. Thank you.